Nine podcasts. If you want to drive a high-performance vehicle, should you need a license to prove you can handle it? From drive.com.au, this is The Drive Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Drive Podcast. My name is James Ward and I'm clearly not Trent Nicolick, who is actually out on assignment this week. So he's uh, handed us the keys to his audio liquor cabinet and I've been left here unattended with my partner in crime, Glenn Butler. Hey, Woody, how you doing? We're going to have some fun while Trent's away. Look, this is it, right? Like, it's, uh, I feel we're, we're sort of late teen. He sort of skipped out for the weekend and said, you can have a bit of fun, but don't touch what's in the driveway. And if he's our, he is our audio dad. What has he got in the garage that we're not allowed to touch? I can see it. It's American. It's six metres long, <laughs> four metres wide, but it's only got two doors. It's a coupe. And it's probably got that chain link steering wheel that Trent just, you know, drives, <laughs> cruises down the road with his arm hanging out the window, you reckon seven the litre V eight closet low rider spec. Yeah, the the hundred spoke Dayton's on there just to to, to really kind of lift his Italian uh, heritage in an American car. He's probably got a couple of Italian motorbikes, but they would be in glass cabinets. He wouldn't ride them. He'd just be to look at them. So he'd know if we took one out for a spin. Well, yeah, fingerprints on the glass would be a giveaway. But uh, four-wheel drives, Lamborghinis, how, how ostentatious is Trent? Yeah, I reckon there'd be something there. So look, for the week that Trent is not here, we will uh, fantasise about what that we would take of his uh, for an uh, impromptu spin around the block. But we'll also talk on today's show the latest in motoring news. And trigger warning, we will be talking about some truly painful incidents with some very, very flash cars. And we'll throw around a controversial license idea from South Australia. Plus, we've got a truckload of details on the new Ford Ranger Raptor. And in just a second, we will go through some great news for car sales, especially for Tesla. But... Before we get into that, let's talk about it. What did we drive in today? And for listeners, Glenn and I, we're, we're green crusaders here. We commuted together. So we carpooled. But Glenno, what did we take? We did. We carpooled in my long-term Jeep Gladiator. My name. It's a cracking name, isn't it? This car has been with us now for about 10 weeks. It goes back to Jeep in a couple of weeks' time. And I am the first to admit, I will be sorry to see it go. I have really enjoyed driving one of the longest tallest, widest cars on the road and really getting my ute on. You see it and you kind of can't quite understand how on earth it could be so big. If you haven't seen the Gladiator, this is like taking a four-door Jeep Wrangler, so an already quite a quite a big car, and then putting a longer bed than you get on a standard double cab ute. So it's, it's huge, but I just love the name, right? Like it's not a number, it's not a sort of a mishmash of letters, it's a Gladiator. Like it's... Americans know how to make cars sound cool. Even the even the rest of the Jeep lineup, like it's the Gladiator Rubicon, so named after the Rubicon Trail, which is this off-roaders paradise in, in the United States that Jeep apparently test all of their vehicles on to make sure if they can handle the Rubicon, they're worthy of the Jeep badge. But when you look at it, you know, Wrangler sounds tough. Grand Cherokee and, and things, you've got good, good names. But I reckon... The coolest one that America has at the moment, and we've seen, what, Hellcats and and things, is the new Cadillac Blackwing. Immediately, you're Batman. That's a pretty high bar, though, to call that the the toughest name that America's ever come up with. They've got some fantastic names in their back catalogue. They've got some sad ones, too, which we won't go anywhere near, (laughs) like the Ford Probe or the the, the Pinto, which I'm still not quite sure. But our favourite, you know, Ranger Raptor. Yep. The Raptor name started in America, didn't it, on the F-150? Yeah, yeah. And the, um, the one down from that is the Tremor. 
Even that is cool. Okay, well, we, we better move off of names shortly, but I'm going to put my vote in for what I reckon is the toughest name of all time, and it's from a brand that you wouldn't normally think, Jensen. The Interceptor. Ooh, yes. Now, that's pretty cool, don't you reckon? Well, there we go. And we will talk about some English cars a bit later on in the show. Let's unpack some of the week's biggest stories on drive.com.au. And I guess an important thing, at the start of every month, we get the sales data through uh, a data series called VFACTS, which is all new car sales, and it's actually all new car deliveries reported in Australia. And we see it by make and model and, and segment and all that sort of stuff. And it's been a pretty good news story for August because sales are back up. It's the highest it's been in a couple of years. It's definitely on the way up. But I think, Leno, the the thing that we know deep down on all this, it would be higher if they had more cars to sell. Well, this is the question. I mean, production lines and car delivery is still backed up massively. I mean, one of the best-selling cars in Australia is the Toyota RAV4. But if you go into a dealership today and put your order in on one, you could still be waiting at this time next year. Yeah. If all of a sudden car companies had all the, the semiconductors they needed and all the materials they needed and they could build all the cars they needed... I mean, what could car sales look like in a given month? We could see a doubling or tripling. Well, this is it. Like a couple of years ago, what did we peak at? 1.1 million for annual car sales, I think is as high as Australia has been. And we we then saw a bit of a tapering off as car finance became harder. And then, of course, COVID. We're now in that recovery phase. And I think, what are we up? 17.3% on August last year. So it's, it's definitely in a growth phase. Mm. But at the moment, what are we at? 700 and something thousand cars sold so far this year. We'll, we'll probably hit the million mark. But if exactly as you say, if we had all the cars we could, you reckon there is 1.2 million or more sales in Australia? I absolutely do. We need to temper this a bit with, you know, rising interest rates are having an effect on housing sales and on people's borrowing capacity for Mm. mortgages. And I think it's also going to start tempering new car sales. But I think this year we'll hit the million. Next year, I think it will go higher. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, And one factor that I guess we haven't considered is that for the first time ever, Tesla is actually counting their numbers, their sales, as part of VFAX. Yeah, and this is the thing. So for for a couple of years, Tesla's sales were largely, I guess, speculative. We would get a uh, a result sent through from the brand at the end of every year to say, this is how many cars have been sold by Tesla in the the year preceding. And last year, Josh Dowling, our our national news editor, actually went through and contacted, like, this this is his dedication to cause. He went through every single roads governance body around Australia. So each of the state based bodies and got a report through the Freedom of Information Act on the number of Teslas that were registered in each state. Because, of course, there's no national body here. They have to go individually. It took a while, and he got all the data. And it turns out that the number... Because Tesla actually um, announced a figure that they had sold. And Josh is like, well, hang on a minute. That doesn't quite add up. And they were able to compare notes. And, and it turns out that Josh was right. But now we're getting Tesla data in the VFAX results. And what is really, really interesting is because they are entirely reliant on shipping. Uh, their cars are built in China, the, the Model 3 and the Model Y. And we had a couple of months where there was like 10 Teslas or maybe you know, five Teslas sold. Last month, it was a staggering amount. What was it, 3,000 and something? Yeah, 3,397 in a month. I mean... Do we trust it? Well, I do actually, because when a when a big Roro cargo ship comes in, or a you know a multiple ships come in, these are deliveries. So when you go to the Tesla website and you say, oh, "I want a, a red Model Three with the cool wheels and the white interior," it tells you exactly how how long that's going to take to get. You build your car; it says that car's going to be here in six or nine months. When six or nine months rolls around, they all come in together. But now with the August 
numbers, that makes Tesla a top 10 brand for the month. That's great PR. It's a it's a headline news story that even we ran said Tesla is the top, you know, in, in the top 10. But they're not in the top 10 year to date. Tesla quotes quarterly numbers, right? Yeah. Quarterly deliveries, quarterly production. Um, and if they were selling five and 10 cars the last two months and now they've done 3,400, I think we're pretty right to assume that that's three months tally, right? Absolutely. And and I think the way that we're looking at it, I think so far year to date, there's been about 8,000 cars sold. So we're a bit over halfway through the year. So let's say that's 15,000 cars uh, on the the ground in Australia, if, if that sort of works out. And again, they have supply constraints as well. So that feels pretty good. That is a mix of threes and whys, to, to be clear. But regardless, that's going to outsell every single other electric car combined. There is a definite market and a definite hunger for relatively cost-effective electric vehicles. The, the Both the three and the Y start well under $100,000. How much longer do you think Tesla will maintain that number one position in electric sales? I guess in Australia, because we're seeing a lot of new electric vehicles coming to Australia now, right? Mm. Um, particularly from China. We talked about on this show a couple of weeks ago, the BYD Atto 3. Yes, yes. Um, not a name that I'd be proud to tell my neighbours that I bought. It's not a Blackwing though, right? It's like... not a bl- I'm going to rename it. <laughs> <laughs> the BYD Big Bad Car, I think. <laughs> well, it's actually kind of funny. When we look at what's coming from China, and I guess looking at the sales results, the once challenger brands of MG and LDV and Havel, uh, GWM Havel, they're all on the march up because you've got what is inherently a strong value proposition there, that you're getting an awful lot of car for your money. They may not be as good as what you get out of Japan or out of Europe, but they're getting better and they're getting better very, very quickly. And all we need to do is cast the memory clock back to when Hyundai launched in Australia Mm -hmm. and they had the original Hyundai Excel or the Pony or whatever it was, which now features in an ad with the Ionic 5. You noticed that? I did. (laughs) Um, The the quality of those early Hyundais was pretty ordinary. They were cheap and cheerful. And over the years, they have invested and invested in this market. They've done local tuning. They've done lots of local development. And now Hyundai and Kia are both the top uh, echelon of of their uh, respective market areas. And I think China's brands will get there to the same point faster. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like Kia and Hyundai are both in the top 10, top four, in mm. fact, when we look at new car sales for last month. Uh, and I think you're, you're absolutely right. Chinese cars, you're getting a five-year or sometimes a seven-year warranty. So there's really no buyer beware here. No. You're getting a good new car at a crazy price. And their, I guess you call it usability, will just improve year on year. When we look through the list of all the electric cars that come into Australia, yes, okay, the BYD Atto 3 Blackwing Raptor uh, is, <laughs> <laughs> is built in China. The MG ZS EV is built in China. But... The XC40 Recharge, China. The Tesla Model 3, China. The Tesla Model Y, China. The Polestar 2, China. The BMW iX3, China. China. So the manufacturing capability and the essence of quality that can come does not matter where in the world these things are coming from. If you have a quality assurance part of your business and you are setting out to build a high quality product, it does not matter. If that Polestar 2 came out of a factory in the main street of Gothenburg in Sweden, or it comes out of a factory near Shanghai in China, it will still be the same car. Yes, all brands have quality standards that they adhere to globally. But that said, I mean, there are still a lot of electric cars coming out of Germany. Um, Porsche Taycan, which yes. neither of us can afford, but both of us really want. Do you would, know what? Would the- it be in your lotto, lotto winning garage? No, it wouldn't. Really? Yeah, no, it wouldn't. 
I, I love the idea of an electric car. I think the Volvo, so the, the XC40, would really, really suit my family and my needs, and I think it'll actually work really well for us. So it's high on the list, but I'm not quite ready yet. I don't feel that there is an emotional buy-in. You know me, I would have a garage full of 1990s shitboxes before I have a market-leading, technological advanced uh, Taycan Cross Turismo in there, which is a really, really sad reflection on where I would spend my money. I'd be that guy that wins a billion dollars and is broke next week because I've bought a hell of a lot of crappy cars. You're the orphanage for unloved cars, really, aren't you? You just pick cars that people... It me home, can I keep it? (laughs) But look, on to another story, and actually talking about lotto-win cars and talking about high end cars. We saw a couple of stories this week where some very expensive metal or, as it was, very expensive oh. carbon fibre met a, um, a bit of a dastardly end. There was a clip out of Croatia, a supercar tour. Now, this is a club that you and I are obviously members of, the uh, supercar owners circle, a bespoke club and Honestly, the cars, you go to a Cars and Coffee here in Melbourne and you rock up in in something nice and there's always something a little bit nicer. The cars that these guys have in this supercar owner's circle are where the build numbers are in single digits and often single digits of one. There's Bugatti Devos, the super rare one-off Ferrari Barquettas and one of the cars was a Pagani Zonda Barquetta. So this is the one that doesn't have a roof. It's got kind of that racing windscreen. It has uh, carbon fibre spats over the rear wheels one of three produced and there's a clip it goes past a uh, a fan on the side of the road who who films it going and he gives it a little squirt and you can see the back end just step out ever so slightly which is cool on a racetrack but on a windy (laughs) tight village road in in regional Croatia it ain't giving itself a lot of room and it spits its uh, left-hand rear into the oncoming lane and an equally uh, iconic uh, vehicle in the supercar sphere, a Ford Fiesta, coming the other way and cleans it up and you see bits of expensive carbon fibre go flying off into the distance and no one was hurt except whoever the insurance underwriter is for that car. But then last week in Sydney, we saw some ne'er-do-wells try and outrun the law, uh, which is never a good idea. And no matter what, you're not playing Grand Theft Auto, everybody. Just the red and blues, come on, pull over, take your, take your biscuits. But they tried to outrun the police in Sydney in a Lamborghini Huracan and didn't, I think is the answer there. So there's a photo of obviously the, uh, the Chrysler SRT patrol car, lights and bells on on the side of the road and the poor old Lambo stricken on the side uh, oh. there. And at the same time, we've seen news out of South Australia prompting notes to say, should people in high-performance cars have a special licence? Glenn, should they? Well, based on those two examples, the answer has to be be yes. Okay, I'm going to go back a step here. And first of all, to the Zonda guy who was taking part in a supercar cruise, good on you for taking one of only three in the world out in public where it can be seen. Yep. And look, I've driven uh, Ferraris in Italy. The public are actually interested. As you're driving past, you can see people going, oh, give it a bit, give it a bit. And you you, want to just rev it or whatever. Maybe not drift it in a straight line, but that's for the Pagani guy to decide. I feel so sad for him trashing it probably going to cost him more to repair than to buy a new one except you can't buy you can't a new buy one, a new one. more but as for should drivers of supercars have licenses well that's how it works in motorsport right not that's just it. anyone can get into formula one they need a super license to even get into formula two then formula one maybe we need that but uh, i don't know I, I think our licensing system and this is probably a longer podcast it needs an overhaul from the ground up but yes we are seeing 
Cars like these, the Huracan, the Zonda, that can do 0 to 103 seconds. We're seeing Tesla Model 3s for 100 grand that can do 0 to 103 seconds. Yes. In the hands of someone who might have done their their learner's permit in a Mark 1 Golf. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I think we need to look at this. We I, really do. I'm going to assume, old mate, with the Zonda, this is not his first rodeo, right? He's he's given it a squirt. It's hit a slick bit of something on the road. It, yeah. You can see he's not driving hooliganishly. Um, he's made a mistake. And as for the guys running from the cops in a hurricane, it just so happens they were in a hurricane. They would have run from the cops in a Commodore. So let's just put them in, out. But I, I agree. I think the pace that you can now get out of a showroom that is so far beyond what we've kind of experienced. And electric cars are the the perfect example here. The the ludicrous mode that you get in a Tesla. What is that? Sub three seconds? Sub three, yeah. So high high two second naught to hundred. That's kind of the Tesla's party game, right? It, it can accelerate really quickly. It's like a blender. You turn it on, it spins up to speed instantly. You've got that massive acceleration. It's just mm. something that is a bit of an appeal to to the the drive line of some of these electric cars. But even in a rather tempered vehicle, take that Volvo XC60, uh, XC40 Recharge Pure Electric, really long name. It's 300 kilowatts in a Volvo. If you get into that and you've come out of a petrol XC40 and you think, I'm going to go and have my uh, my first electric car, it's going to be the electric version of the car, I already know, good step. You get in that, you're at the lights, and you think, oh, I'm just going to get ahead of this tram. And you mash that throttle, you are in for the fright of your life. <laughs> I think we need to have a way of understanding, can you be trusted with a car like this as a driver how do we govern this like first of all how do the cops know that the hurricane in front of them is being driven by a person who has the appropriate license i mean do we do we need to now change license plates based in based on who's driving the car in victoria all highway patrol cars are fitted with automatic number plate recognition cameras and they can scan that plate from coming up behind you it'll send up a ping to say either your rego's out of date or the car is stolen, or the person who is registered as the owner of that car is on a cancelled licence or is a you know a, a dodgy operator or, or whatever it is. There are ways that they could apply these things to it. So if you pull up behind a, a, a hurricane in traffic and it comes up and it says that A, the registration is paid, B, the person is not on the, a watch list for, for being a, a, a troublemaker, and C, they currently have their performance licence. They're not going to pull you over. That's that's okay. But what if we go back to our, you know, Trent's away and we've got the keys to his garage. Mm. Trent's qualified to drive his Lamborghini, but you and I are not. With electric cars, do you reckon we'll see keys that only enable 60% of the power so that when when your younger brother or younger sister borrows your car. Or, or younger P-plate drivers. This is the thing. You look at the current P-plate power-to-weight ratio rules and all this sort of stuff, and it was put in when a turbocharger meant a high-performance car. It was basically put in there to stop P-platers driving WRXs, and yet they could still go and get a SV6 Commodore Ute, which had enough power but zero weight in the back yeah. uh, on a rear-wheel drive to basically get themselves into all sorts of strife. Now we're looking at electric cars. There's no rule to say that a P-plater can't for the very first drive go out in mum's XC40 with 300 kilowatts and get themselves into a bit of strife. Wow. And I think a modernisation of the way we approach licensing, particularly for high-performance cars, should definitely be something we look at. So car companies are actually outpacing legislation. Wow, there's a shock, hey? There Never we go. happened before. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> oh, well, up next, speaking of cars that are fun, we're going to talk about one that uh, Glenn and I know an awful lot about because neither of us have driven it yet, but we really want to, the all-new Ford Ranger Raptor.
Well, welcome back to The Drive podcast and one of the most highly anticipated vehicles to land in Australia. This millennia has arrived almost for customers now and we've seen build photos being sent like a newborn baby. It's like going to get your ultrasound. The factory of the new Ford Ranger Raptor in, in Thailand is sending buyers photos of the, of the cars on the production line to say it's nearly here, it's nearly ready. But uh, our man Sam Purcell actually got a chance to go and drive it at the launch and he came away with a big, silly, sloppy grin on his face and all you needed to do was was scan social media from the other people who got to drive this car. They're all standing there with these silly looks on their faces. (laughs) Here we are. We're moving to a world of compact, electric, environmentally friendly cars and we are both here saying a big, fast, jumpy Tonka truck ute, ideally in orange, this is the car we all want. Is fun back, Glenn? Is fun finally back? Of course it is. Of course it's the car we all want. There's nothing bigger, brasher, more more in your face than these latest generation of high-performance utes. Rewind 15 years and I couldn't even imagine the phrase high-performance utes. Yeah. And yet here they are. They are dominating our landscape. And the numbers are insane. I mean, this Ford Ranger Raptor, it's got almost 300 kilowatts of power It's in a ute. To step up from the old car. So this is, and, and for listeners, the, the old Raptor, the first Raptor, had a two-litre bi-turbo diesel engine. And it was the same engine that you found in the regular Ranger. And it was probably the criticism that the car had because, yeah, it looked awesome. It was fat. It had these massive off-road wheels. And it had the really cool bit, the off-road uh, Fox Racing suspension. But it only had the two-litre turbo diesel. We are now, what is it? It's a... Twin turbo petrol six cylinder in this thing now. This makes the Raptor a sports car that is designed to do jumps. Like, I remember growing up watching the Dukes of Hazard and the Fall Guy and the Fall Guy truck that for some reason, I don't even remember what that show was about, but for some reason, every episode that truck had to do it like an awesome jump over something in slow mo and land and keep going. This is what a Raptor is built for. Like, you, you see all the photos of this thing midair and land and just squat and keep going. Yep, mate. I remember the day when HSV announced that their GTS would become a 300 kilowatt super sedan. And, and that was a lot. <laughs> do you remember when at HSV, they, it was like 185 kilowatts? Yes, I do. <laughs> but you could get a blueprinted one with 215 kilowatts for an extra, I think, $20,000. Um, but yeah, look, the, the amount of power and torque that these new generation utes have is incredible. I do wonder though, they've got mud terrain tires on them, right? Yeah, how do they steer and stop? Yeah, are we are we getting a bit silly here? Look, this is the thing. I think we both need to drive one. So Ford hook us up. Um, because Glenn and I need to spend a good solid amount of time in, in one of these to, to really come to a, a, an opinion because we know out of a standard double cab ute, it does not stop or turn as well as a regular car, like a performance car is is designed to feel low and planted to the road. It's got tyres, it's got suspension that are supposed to make it perform well. The Raptor has got tyres and suspension that are make it jump well and, <laughs> and run through the desert and cross the wasteland. Not necessarily, you know, do a, a 100k an hour emergency stop on a on, on a shiny wet freeway. No, absolutely. So, and look, uh, this is probably not the first, you know, the Gladiator that we were talking about, they do V8 conversions of that in America. How, so How fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, these are the sort of cars that they're turnkey ready to go to the Fink Desert Race or the Baja 1000 if you want, but are they really what we need on public roads? Um, okay, clearly they're what we want. Yes, that's <laughs> Do right. we need them? Look, I think the want and need thing with cars, with that, that ship has <laughs> sailed and sunk with a whole bunch of Porsches on board in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, oh, right? We're like, so weak. We're we, so weak. We, <laughs> give us a bright orange 
you that can do jumps and everyone's like yeah line up and the line for this thing like order cues it's 90 grand so this is not a cheap ute yeah. but uh, i think we, we discussed it last time on, on the show it doesn't matter what you charge uh for a ute people will buy it and the raptor i think is look it's a really really exciting car to, to have and especially because we're going through this period of change we're going through a look at what future fuels can do what technology can do we're looking at downsizing we're looking at all these things which make perfect sense for us as a as a mobility consumer uh, mm. for years to come so i think now as a final hurrah cuz look we expect the 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 ranger to come with a hybrid drivetrain at some point in its in its gestation will it move to electric like the the F150 lightning we we don't know but for now the fact that you can get a twin turbo petrol six cylinder off-road racing Tonka truck out of a showroom, provided you wait for it, sign us all up. I think we need a bit of fun. We need a bit of irreverence back. Absolutely right. So, well, look, we haven't driven it, but we can drive it vicariously, right, by reading Sammy's review on the website. And did he do a video? Yes, he did. So you can check out the review and video on drive.com.au and see that silly grin on Sam's face that obviously sells it uh, for what he wants. And then when Glenn and I have a chance, you can uh, tune in and hear what we think. But before we finish the show, there has been some big news this week. It's very sad. Queen Elizabeth has passed, and we all knew it was going to happen, but it was you know, still a bit of a, a shock when it did. But in the automotive world, she was a Land Rover, what do you call it? It's not really an ambassador. It's, it's a step above an ambassador. Well, a queen, I guess. <laughs> she was the, the monarch of Land Rover. She really loved the cars, the cars with the branding of you know, HRH on them. But that was for her. That wasn't for Buckingham Palace. That wasn't for the Crown as a as a an entity. That was for Queen Elizabeth. With King Charles III now stepping in, is he a Land Rover guy? Is Land Rover still going to be the car of the monarch? I don't think so. No, I reckon this is a great one to throw out to our listeners. Yeah. I'd love to hear what they think. Uh, Charlie, can we call him Charlie? We're, we're Australian. We're, we're, we're casual, on a first right? name basis. Chuck, right? we won't call him Chuck. That's Chuck. probably a step too far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he's got a history, right? He's got a, a Jaguar E-Type that was f- electrically converted. Yes, that's right. Um, you told me before the show he's got an Aston Martin that runs on um, yeah. wine skins. And and he it's a beautiful one too. Like it's a DB6 uh, convertible that, yeah, runs on, on wine off produce stuff so he's a massive environmental crusader he has been for years so you've got brands like obviously jaguar becoming full electric by 2025 so we're seeing that happen land rover themselves are doing plug-ins and things obviously it has to be an english brand that he comes back will he revive jensen as the uh hrh brand for, for for charlie's reign i would love to know what what do we think will be the official car of king charles iii Please tell us what you think too. Send in your uh, your thoughts. We'll cover off some of the best ones in next week's podcast, eh, well, Gordy? I think so. And I think next week, Trent will be back, he promises us, and he will go through and make sure he'll check all the uh, the levels on, on everything in the liquor cabinet to make sure we haven't had too much fun. Um, but we'll just fill it up with tea and he will never know. Um, but Trent will be joined next week uh, by Susanna, who will be talking about another Land Rover, the Defender, because she's been uh, kicking about town in the big five-door Defender. It is the car to have for family buyers at the, uh, at the moment. It's the one everybody wants. But I think Susan's got some some interesting thoughts on it in that how it looks and how it wants versus how it actually is. Uh, jury's out. Fantastic. Can't wait to hear from it. And that is next week. So, of course, the best way to make sure you don't miss that or anything else that we have coming up and down the track is by hitting follow or subscribe whenever you're listening to this episode right now on, on whatever podcast tuner you like. And, of course, we will catch up with you next time for The Drive. The Drive.